You know, we, we gather, right, to, uh, to meet with God. And that, that's the point of this time. And sometimes it means just slowing down and just hearing from Him. Um, I, I think some of you may have heard, or many of you may have seen, just the announcement that uh, Jim Wilson passed away this past week, and uh, family is is here. And there's a memorial service tomorrow night, um, just to celebrate Jim's life here at the church here at 5:30. If you want to come, maybe an hour early, um, there's just be an open house to uh, you know talk with the family as well. But uh, just have them in in their prayers. Um, and we'll, we're going to have a good time tomorrow with, uh, with Jim and celebrating him. Um, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 13. I've got to turn to it also. Romans 13. If uh, you are newer to our church uh, visiting, we're going through um, a book called Romans. It's in the Bible, and it's towards the, the latter end, last third. And it's a letter written to Christians who are living in Rome, capital city of Rome, but also Rome, cities of the empire. Um, and uh, right close to after Christ died within 30 years, 20 years. And so the, the, the letter is written to them of what does it look like to be a Christian? How do you... What is it? First, all the things that we should understand and believe about Christ and what he did for us, but then how does that translate into just life? And this one, he, this chapter 13 is about what does it look like to be a Christian as it relates to uh, governments and being a citizen? And this is what he says. He says, let every person be subject or subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good. And, there'll be, and you will receive his approval, for he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all that is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The Gallup poll uh, did a national poll about 10 months ago, and they were surveying people's view, estimation, feelings about the federal government, in particular Congress. And they found in their results that the federal government or Congress has, one, the least positive image of any business or industry sector measured. So the least positive image of any business out there. Congress engenders the lowest 
confidence in terms of, or of any institution they tested, and Americans third rate the honesty and the ethics of the members of Congress as the lowest among the professions that they were measuring. The Babylon Bee uh, reported, actually, Congress is going to require all senators and congressmen and congresswomen to wear a barcode, either right here on their chest or on their, their side, and, and it's, it's for all the lobbyists, so they can actually just come in and scan their shoulder and see how much they cost and just cut out all the negotiations. Yeah, that one didn't work too good. But actually, you know, um, I, was, I was reading a Liberty Maniacs, their website, and actually they said the NSA is really concerned about their public image and, and after these results like this, and they're, they're actually creating a whole new branding campaign, and the slogan is the NSA is the only branch of government that actually cares and listens to you. Yeah, it's better than the second service. Appreciate it. You guys got it. No, you don't like it. It's not funny, right? <laughs> So today's message is about the government. What do we do with the government? How do we live in, in, a, in relationship to them? And what makes this passage difficult here, and this, is, this, this passage, if you're kind of just new, this is a famous passage that creates all kinds of questions because, one, it's so black and white. Submit and do not rebel. Clear as day. No ifs, ands, or buts, no exceptions. It's very black and white. The problem is, well, what do you do when you have a government that starts to tell you to do things that are against the Bible or against God? What do you do then? Because it's black and white. It begs the question, too, uh, are you saying literally that, God, are you saying that you put every governing official in and are you really wanting to say that because there's some really, really, evil, evil people who have been in governing positions. Are you sure you want to be tied to that? Like, what do you do with that? And there's a big questions come out of this. So Paul wrote this letter to Roman citizens, or actually wrote people who, some were Roman citizens, some who were lived in Rome, the empire of Rome had been conquered by Rome. If you see up on the screen, this is the size of the Roman empire about 50 years before Paul wrote. So it's basically that size. It didn't change much in those 50 years. Rome conquered all of this, this North Africa, Middle East, Southern Europe, conquered a lot of nations. It's a huge, huge empire. And he's writing to them about what it looks like to live under the rule of Rome. And he's writing this letter because there's two major things, parties, uh, sects, that have emerged in the early church. One of them are, are those Jews who converted to Christianity, are Christ followers, but they're coming out of a movement of Israel where Rome conquered Israel, and there's someone, something in the DNA fiber of Israel that says, Rome needs to get out. We need to kick Rome out. We need to revolt. We need them gone. And so everywhere a Jew went, they sought to bring revolution and anarchy. And then they're coming into the church and they're still bringing that mindset, not all of them, 
But some of them were bringing that mindset into the church. It's bad, like it's so bad, Nero kicked all the Jews out of the capital city. They were always stirring stuff up, always trying to create problems. And they were bringing that into the church. And so Paul's addressing this. On the other side, you have Christians who are following Jesus and then they, they, well, they see it says Jesus is gonna return and so they're thinking, well, he's coming back. Like he just went up there and he's just collecting his army. He's coming right back. And they started spreading this belief that, or this, I don't know, line of thinking, pattern of behaving where it doesn't matter what the governments say. Like, Jesus is coming back. We're free from the government. We're free from all this. He's coming. Just forget about it. Don't pay your taxes. Don't do anything. He's going to be right here next Tuesday, right? Next Wednesday. And so it started to develop this mindset where they began to revolt in a different way because of their freedom from all that because Jesus is coming back. And it was creating chaos within their own towns and their own cities because they wouldn't step up as a good citizen pay their taxes, show honor, all those things. It was creating a lot of problems. It was so bad. This, is, this wasn't just Paul who saw this. This is Peter. Look at Peter. He wrote this in his, in his first letter. He said this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. He writes this, honor the emperor. Now the emperor during this time, anybody need a little pop quiz? Nero, you guys remember Nero? That guy's really, really messed up. And he hadn't gone off the deep end yet, but if you read Fox's Books of Martyrs, if you read some of the accounts of the early church, his name comes up because of the sadistic things he did to Christians. He hadn't gotten there yet, but he wasn't this, you know, clean, you know, emperor, pure, whatever. This guy, this guy was evil even then, and this is what Peter writes honor the emperor. And it's because of these two groups that Paul was led to write what he wrote in Romans 13. And what's interesting is there's a word that comes onto the scene here. It literally just like explodes all over the place in these seven verses, and it's the word authority. It's never been used in the entire letter Paul wrote up to now, he has never used this word, and this is where it comes, authority, and he uses it five times in these seven verses. He's talking about authority here, governing authority. And there are several statements, they're, they're really kind of arresting statements regarding authority. First is the source of authority. And what he says here in verse one, let every person be subject to governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Those that exist has been instituted by God. He makes it very clear, the source of all authority you see on this planet comes from him. He is the source of authority. He is the originator of authority. Anybody that has authority, they got it from him. That's a pretty significant statement kind of a sticking point 
for God. For us to understand. Colossians, Paul wrote this. For by God all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. The source of all authority is God. What he says is law and truth, and he has the power to back it up. And sometimes people mistake the kindness, the patience of God for weakness, for inability. I mean, it's, when, when he says this, it, it's, it's a, this gets worked out. This is so basic, it gets worked out on a playground. When a kid tells another kid to shut up and the kid says, make me, what is he saying? He's saying, you think you have authority, back it up. If you have the authority to tell me to shut up, back it up, and then what happens? Well, somebody gets popped or the kid just kind of walks away and nothing happens, right? Authority is not only about being able to say what is the reality, but it is the ability to back it up. And our kids know it. You don't have to ask them a test. They know it. And God is saying, all authority is mine, and I can back it up. What I say goes, period. The second concept that's interesting in this, not only all authority is his and he can back it up, but the other thing he says is, is fascinating. It's how he describes the government. Listen to these phrases. Just go back through here. There's, I think it's five or you know, six different times that God talks about the government, and you see that list up here on, on the screen. Instituted by God. The government is appointed by God. The government is God's servant. The government is a servant of God. The government carries out God's wrath. The government is a minister of God. Insert whatever senator, whatever congressman, whatever congresswoman, whatever president, vice president, judge, all the way down to our state governors, down to our mayor, anybody in influence, this applies to them. Anyone with authority, this applies to them. Daniel says this, the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. This is just not in Daniel. This is the theme of Scripture, that God puts leaders into their place, and he gives them authority. The authority they have isn't because their nation is bigger or stronger than another nation or smaller. It doesn't matter. It's because he gave them authority. It's not because they have a big military. Then That's not how this happens. It's because he gave them authority to lead, to bring justice, to establish righteousness and peace. And he gives them a sword. Interesting. He talks about a sword here. Why? Because you need to enforce your authority. And he gives the sword to enforce authority. And he actually says, they're ministers of my authority. So the question that comes up here is, what do you do with this whole thing of evil leaders, 
whether it's in Iran, North Korea, you go back to World War II, you go Cambodia, I mean, Rwanda, you go all these, all these places, even leaders in the U.S. What, what do you do with these men or women that got into positions of authority and are so evil? And he says he put everyone there. What we must understand is that when God puts someone into authority, he fully expects them to exercise that authority with righteousness. That burden is on them. They're responsible for that. In fact, they're responsible to know that their authority is not of their own, it's from God. There is no excuse. There will be no leader who could stand before God who has been given authority and say, I didn't know you gave me the authority. I didn't know. It doesn't work. His standard for a leader is sobering. He will hold every leader responsible for the evil they commit. And he gets angry, so angry when leaders abuse their authority. A few verses earlier, he talks about the wrath that he has and that he tells us, like, look, on your own, don't take vengeance. That, that's mine, I'll deal with it. And then several verses later, guess what he says? The government is there to bear a sword to bring what? Vengeance. He's given them that ability, and when they abuse it, it's scary. And, and what's interesting is that it's his authority, it's his wrath they're using, and what he's saying is, you don't understand, you do this, you're going to get my wrath. You're storing it up. He will pour it out. So Paul goes on and he says, hey, look, the government's put in place. The government, any authority is God's. The government is put in place by God. Therefore, we get to this word submit. Subject yourselves. Hear this multiple times. Don't resist. Come under. It just, it kind of explodes on the scene again, just like authority does. And he, he gives two reasons for it. He says, first, do this for rulers hold no terror for those who do good, but for those who do bad. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is good and receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing or in vain. He's the servant of God, and an avenger carries out wrath on the wrongdoer. So he says this in conclusion. Here's your two reasons. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath for the sake of conscience. So the first one is, you, you want to submit because otherwise you will feel the wrath of the state. They bear a sword for a reason. To bring righteousness, to establish justice. And, and so one of them is just, hey, it's not fun to be punished. Just, just don't do it. You'll be fine. You won't be looking over your back. But then he says, the other thing is the reason we do this is because of our conscience. And what's interesting, it's not our conscience because the government says it. It's our conscience because God says it. He goes above government 
and it pulls in God. So your obedience to the government is tied not to the government, it's actually tied to your relationship with God. Your obedience to the state, your submission, my submission, is rooted in our conscience and what God has said. Now, here's the question. So, submit, we got to submit, and here it brings up the other question of what do you do when a government says, I want you to do this, and it's contrary to God and what his, his laws are, his commands are. I mean, there's a famous story in the book of Daniel, right? Uh, Babylonian government says, hey, stop worshiping your God. I want you to wa- worship our gods. And, and then there's, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they say no, and they get thrown into the fire, and God saves them. But what was that moment? That moment was, yeah, sorry, man, we're out. Can't do that. Clearly contradicting the commands of God cannot follow you on this one. Daniel gets it later. They make a law. You can't pray for 30 days to any God. Daniel prays, gets thrown into the lion's den. Daniel says to him, sorry, I'm out. Got to go pray. Acts, early church, right? Church is established, and, and they're starting to tell people about Jesus, and, and uh, the synagogue, the religious rulers pull them in and say, you got to stop talking about Jesus, and they say, what? Yeah, sorry. Got to go with God on this one. Not going to follow you. Do whatever you got to do. So there, there is a very clear precedent set here as you look at the whole counsel of Scripture that when a government starts to tell you to do things that are contradictory to the commands of God, you obey God and not the government. It's very clear. But when, what do you do when you're in a system, because it says submission here, and you're in a government or you're in a country where it's, it, it's gone beyond just that and, and you're looking at wholesale wickedness and a whole nation that is going a direction, what do you do then? Do you revolt? Do you not? Because this says don't. And where do you fall out? So our country, I'd encourage you, go read the Declaration of Independence. It's a fascinating document on civil disobedience, especially from a Christian viewpoint, because God is all over the Declaration of Independence. They bring him up a lot. And what they cite is one grievance after another after another. And what you see, and if you study church, or, or, you know, not church, the American history, what you see is, is this, it's a systematic, pervasive, over years, governing, uh, or, or basically the crown coming down on the colonies in evil ways over and over and over again. You see these things. And they finally said, after such a long time, we cannot, with good conscience, submit to the crown. We therefore declare ourselves independent, and God will be our judge. I mean, there's this invoking of the Lord's name into that revolution. Just fascinating. You want to take an even more interesting one. Dietrich Bonhoeffer felt led by the conscience, by his conscience, right, before God to try to assassinate Hitler. And he was part of a group of people. He was a, a strong German Christian leader. And he stayed rather than fled 
Germany during the war because he wanted to set Germany free. And he was part of a group of people that tried to assassinate him. He failed. He was arrested, killed right before uh, Germany was defeated. But he felt led in his conscience. So you, you have these moments of, of Christians taking a stand and saying, this ought not to be. And yet you have also Christians on the other side, and there's denominations who are formed out of this, of a pacifist movement, where they look at the life of Christ in the new covenant, which says, we shall be known for our love. Blessed are the peacemakers. And, and there's a strong theological pull and foundation to that. It's not without merit, and it's not just out in a vacuum. And they feel very strongly that no Christian should ever take up arms. So what do we do? You figure it out. Seriously, it's up to you. There is a bandwidth here within Scripture. And there are Christians with a very clear conscience that can be pacifists and stand before God right in spirit. And there are Christians who have taken up arms for the cause of righteousness and can stand before God with a clear conscience. We have active military service people here. We have veterans who have fought in war to stand against evil. For evil to thrive, all it takes is what? One good man to do nothing. We have police officers. I don't know, nine or ten of them that belong to our church that carry a sword with them. There's a spectrum here in life and how we do this when it comes to government and what is evil. The point of this passage, though, is not those things. And, and, and I am just, I, I'm sorry for how I'm skimming those, these two issues here. They're just so significant. But the real point of this passage is about submission. Submission to a, a government. And we could talk about it for hours, but the, the question that Paul poses for us and that Christ would have us wrestle with is how is your mentality, your spirit, when it comes to the government? You know, one of the byproducts of being part of a country that's birthed out of a revolution is there's still this rebel, independent spirit that's kind of our identity as a country. I mean, the flag, don't tread on me, that was adopted early on by those who led this country, a rattlesnake, right? I don't know if you guys have seen that. Google it. It's back right there at the late 1700s. That was the motto, and it was definitely this, okay, crown don't tread on us we'll bite you we'll kill you i mean it is a real thing and and that 
there's a piece of that that goes through a society. And let's just be honest, this, this rebel spirit goes all the way back to the garden. And it goes all the way back to, to that moment when Adam and Eve kind of said, they didn't say it out loud because they didn't want to say it to God to his face. But what they said is, don't tell me what to eat. Don't tell me when to eat it. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Don't tread on me. That's really where it started. We all have authority issues. I mean, it's just part of what we all inherit through Adam. And and that's why surrender, when we talk about surrender to Christ, that's why that's such a big thing. That's why kneeling is such a big thing. Because what is that? That is a sign of submission. And that's why Jesus makes it such a sticking point. Coming Sunday morning does not mean you submit to anything. It's with our hearts and our minds and our spirit, right? We submit, we yield, we break, we say, you call the shots. And so we all have to do that. If, you're gonna, if anyone follows Christ, you have to do that. And then after we follow Christ, we're still trying to kill that old rebel spirit. And some of us, some of us it's, you know, really have authority issues. Some of us don't necessarily, but some of, some of us in this room, you, you hate authority. You do. Government, courts, police, teachers. I don't know. Parents, military. When you read First Samuel 15, there's this moment where God says, Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Meaning, if somebody has a rebellious attitude, rebellious heart, it's the same thing as somebody over here praying to demons and channeling demonic spirits. It's the same. Just looks a lot cleaner. Have you ever been in a room where somebody's praying to demons and you go, I'm out of here, it probably should be the same feeling as somebody who has a rebellious spirit. I don't know if you ever thought of that. It should give you the heebie-jeebies. Like, I better get out of this room. That is dangerous stuff. God gets hopping mad when people rebel. He opened up the earth and swallowed a bunch of people when they rebelled against Moses. He was ticked off. You rebel against my authority? Oh, he gets angry when people rebel. It has that rebellious spirit. So do you pay your taxes? Paul Paul says, you want to know what submission looks like? Verse 7, he just, I'll spell it out for you. This is is what I mean. If you want to know, this is what I mean. He says this in verse 7. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So I ask you, do you pay your taxes? Do you report your wages? Do you report your tips? Do you like to do stuff under the table? Do you show honor 
to every authority and respect to every authority? Or do you have a good excuse of, because they're so corrupt and they're so messed up that now they don't deserve it? Peter wrote, honor the emperor. Paul wrote, honor the emperor. That dude was messed up. I bought, uh, uh, we don't buy new cars, we buy used cars. You ever been to, you do the Craigslist or whatever, classifieds, go get a car, not from a car lot, or even actually it's happened at a car lot. You ever have that moment where somebody says, okay, so you write down on the title, you're buying this used car and you write on the back of the title, well, how much are you paying for it? You ever have the person ask, well, what do you want to write down? And what do you mean? What? I remember the first time that happened, I said, what do you mean what I want to write down? He goes, well, what do you want to write down? I said, I'm buying the car for this much. Like, why wouldn't I write down? He says, well, it's up to you. You don't have to. And I go, yeah, I do. It just shocked me. I didn't pull out Romans 13 or anything. I mean, just, but, but it's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. Nobody knows. Nobody knows whether you're really given the respect that you need to give. Nobody knows whether you're giving the honor that you should be giving. And nobody knows whether you're paying your full taxes. IRS might, might find out. Most of us in this room are never going to get audited by the IRS. We don't pay that much. <laughs> See, what God has is a vision for our lives that we would be the ones to help. It's, it's this thing of keeping social order. And, and that is a blessing. I, I don't know if you understand that this, this making a nation run, that's his vision for us. And it doesn't, it, it's not just about the top, it's about what each one of us does it. And even when no one else does it, his vision is we're the ones who do it. We're the ones who actually bring uh, the honor. We're the ones that give respect. We're the ones that pay taxes because we know that if we don't, it devolves into chaos. And ultimately, what we have is a problem of rebelling against God. And we, we know that people are cutting corners. We know that people are cheating. We know the lying's going on and the disrespect. It's become just like this national pastime where you just watch the dishonor and the disrespect given those in authority. And, and God says, I don't want you to have anything to do with it. I don't want you to do anything with that. Turn it off. Get away with it. Get out of it. Run away from it. I'm in each of these positions. And he's placed to call on you, and he's placed to call on me. Even if the world doesn't do it, we do it because of him. I was in Guinea. It was, I think, at one point in the last few years, it kind of goes off and on as the number one most corrupt nation in the world. If you want to see utter chaos where this all breaks down, go to Guinea. You will literally walk out of there speechless, not knowing where to start. It's because nobody does it. No one. It's pure chaos. And God's vision for you and me are be the people that do it. And we'll shine. We'll shine. 
the submission, it reeks of heaven. The honor and respect, it, it reeks of heaven. We do it for him. Sure, we may love our country, but it's not being about good Americans. It's about being a Christian. Let's pray.